When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As of right now, we are at war. How desperate you call on such lost creatures to defend you. How desperate am I? You threaten my world with war. You steal a force you can't hope to control. You talk about peace and you kill because it's fun. You have made me very desperate. You might not be glad that you did. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if they could become something more. Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast for the discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol and the Marvel Universe. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Bruffett. How are you doing today, Chris? It's a big day. It's a big day. I'm so excited. Guys, I, I literally can't tell you, Jesse and I have not spoken about the subject of today's podcast, not once since we both <laughs> saw it. And we are literally chomping at the bit. We've had to call each other off more than one time and say, save it, save it for the pod. So forgive me if I'm a little excited to get into it. But otherwise, Jesse, I'm doing good in the full swing of the holiday craziness. Mm. Uh, but, uh, you know, also, as as you know, your podcast partner, I'm pretty proud of you for taking home Fury's Finest Secret War trophy. Thank you. Yeah, it's over. The first league is done. We had a really fun time with patrons. I got a lot of games in. I want to say it was like eight or nine games when it was all said and done that I played. And I got to play the finals recently against Gian. And he's a very strong Web Warriors player. And he was the reason he was in the finals. And it was Sam Avengers versus Web Warriors. Two of the strongest teams in the game right now, arguably, until some people crack some other things. And we had a good match. But it's been a fun league. And I'm just happy I got to participate because once again, this was put on by our patron, Patrick. Patrick did all the seeding, all the brackets, all the planning, everything. Chris and I just participated in the league and helped him as best we could in the Discord. But hey, man, this was a great first season of the Furious Finest League. It was awesome. I am eagerly anticipating season two. Patrick is definitely the man. Hats off to him. That was an awesome job he did just really facilitated a lot of fun and it was really cool to play you know against some new people and and make some new friends i struggle to remember but i don't even know if you and i got to talk about the other finals games i mean you and i played a game and then i played a game with dennis as well so two of my real life opponents not easy games and i had to unfortunately knock you out and then knock dennis out (laughs) 
And then yeah, my man. opponent was knocking other people out as well. And then eventually we ended up in the finals. It was just really fun because like the initial brackets, no one's getting knocked out, you know? And then we got to those final seeding brackets because you were one of the top seeds in your bracket and I was one of the top seeds in my bracket. And unfortunately, we got paired round one of the semifinals. It happens. You know, I'm coming back stronger in season two. Got some ideas. Like I said, I'm in the lab, folks. That's right. We're working on some stuff. Hopefully can be ready for season two, at least, you know, at worst, the knockout stage, we'll hope. And, uh, you know, just uh, hope for the best. But yeah, man, you had a great squad, played an awesome game against me, really lulled me into thinking I had a chance there for a second. (laughs) (laughs) Those points, those points. No, I just, you know, I'll dial this X-Men in. It's okay. But I got to play Bucky and you and I's game, and that was very exciting. And he did some serious work against me. He really did. Yeah. And the irony of it is, you know, in the initial games, I played Spider-Foes only. And then when we rebuilt our rosters for the finals, as pretty common with a lot of these TTS leagues, I then switched back to Sam, but then told myself, you're not playing Lizard. You're not doing it. Get out of your comfort zone. This is for fun. So I didn't play Lizard at all in the semifinals or the finals. And I switched him for Bucky. And it was really fun. Bucky made an appearance once or twice. That's the irony though, right? It's like Bucky made an appearance once or twice, as opposed to Lizard, who would have been almost every game, if not every game. Yeah. I suspect he would have been every game because I know you. <laughs> I and just I played know. Cage instead. And, you know, I love Cage, but I like Lizard better, personally. And that's just that's just a that's just me. I don't know. I don't know. I only play X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Cage might be really good on that team, by the way. Something you no, and I talked I know. about from I'm time to time. I'm still upset that Colossus is going to be a four threat, so I was really hoping for a three. So it might be Cage. Yeah, yeah, I might. It might have to be Cage. I'm really, I'm really bummed about that, actually. But that's it for the Furious Finest League this season. We will start a new season in the new year. So if you're not a patron, definitely check out our Patreon and consider joining and join part of that Discord community. But also, you get to be part of that league if you want to. When we start, probably in january or february when we start the new league but chris like you said the holidays are on us you know we're still putting out episodes it seems like you and i had a pretty interesting last episode about the eternals and we had a lot of positive and negative things to say and i feel like it's a really strong episode of you and i's because we kind of went in and we didn't want to have a specific structure for that review we kind of wanted more to meander through the highs and lows of the Eternals and kind of talk about where it failed and where it succeeded. And today we're talking about another MCU movie. So that's two MCU movies back to back of our show. Very unusual, but it's the season, right? It's what we're in now. And the movie today, Chris, we've been leading up to it all year long on this show, on this very show, we've been talking about how this is going to close out the year. The third Tom Holland, Spider-Man film, the third film in the trilogy, Spider-Man, no way home we're here it's been a long time it's been a long road i've been very excited to talk about this with you and i still am but first jesse we should take care of some business let's go fury's finest is supported by discount games inc go to discountgamesinc.com for all your marvel crisis protocol and miniature games needs our patrons support fury's finest at patreon.com slash fury's finest if you enjoy the show consider supporting us with a monthly opt-in contribution we take this time to thank all of our patrons for the support once again chris we've had a lot of great patron support through the year 
2021. We intend to extend the show even further, 2022, continue with this pace of episodes and give the patrons a little bit of supplemental content. So when the Patreon grows, you are facilitating all these things while also paying our bills and keeping this show's lights on. So if you'd like to join that Discord community, if you'd like to hang out with like-minded folks and a great positive community, and then potentially participate in our TTS League, check out the Patreon you know, I'm just going to say it now, and this is for all the listeners that are patrons too. I'm going to try to get some prize support for the second season of the Fury's Finest League. Because why not? Oh my, that's news to me. That's incredible. I love it. But this week, we have a new patron to thank. Yes. This week, a big, big thank you to Grant F. Grant, we truly appreciate it. Thank you, Grant. And of course, Chris, we could not do this show without our Avenger producers, Zach Attack, Rusty, Keith and Dylan, thank you, producers. Thank you to our Fantastic Four. All right, Chris, we're here. The third Tom Holland Spider-Man film is fully out in the world. We've seen it. You and I have not spoken on anything about this film yet. This is a high moment in my life, this film, and there's a lot to talk about. And we're going to try to stay focused today because there's so much to cover. I think we have to start with the question... When did you see this, like we did with Eternals? Because I think that helps frame our conversation. I saw it on a Saturday. IMAX, of course. Of course. So you saw it the Saturday after it came out? Yes, I did. I saw it opening night on Thursday. And I think a lot of these things are going to help you frame it as a listener. I saw the first showing that I could in Tulsa on a Thursday. Went social media dark all week, which was awesome. Very nice, relaxing, and also no thread of spoilers. Or leaks, because people do that. And man, this was a movie theater experience. And I think you and I talked about this, Chris, last episode with The Eternals. And we still hang our hats on that statement. If you can see The Eternals in theaters, it's a beautiful, visceral, world-building film. But this, Chris, there's so many things that were actually embellished by the theater experience in this. And I would say, number one, the most obvious is nine Spider-Man movies that have come out in our lifetime and the last 20 years. And there's little threads to all of them. And I think that's a theater experience in itself because in a way, this is the MCU endgame of the Spider-Man films over the last 20 years. And I'm even including Into the Spider-Verse because I am saying the nine films, the three Rami, the two Andrew Garfield, the one Spider-Verse, and then the three Tom Holland films. You're going to have to clue me in on on the through lines with the Spider-Verse in of course. No Way Home. Yeah, man, this this movie was kind of the theatrical event of the summer and the winter. That's true. It was, man, it was awesome. I don't know. I, you know, I don't even like to watch trailers for a movie I know I'm going to see. I like to go in as cold as possible. Mm-hmm. Of course, I knew... I knew too much going into this one just from rumors and and whatnot. So no true surprises happened. But every time something did happen that I knew was going to (laughs) happen, I still squealed with delight. I'm excited when we get to those, but we won't talk about them yet. But some of these things that came up in at least my film viewing, I didn't know were going to happen. I'd heard rumors, of course, of some things, but one in particular early on in the movie 
really got my crowd going. And I'm sure you have an idea what that is, but we'll get to that in a minute. But I don't know. I think they did the marketing correct on this, Chris. I think they gave us as much as they could without giving the big things away, but then they gave us enough to draw people in and also just say, for instance, Willem Dafoe and Alfred Merlena are back in this film as the Goblin and Doc Ock. And they just kind of revealed that early on because that probably would have just been leaked either way. And it's just one of those things like, might as well just ride on Willem Dafoe's hype on his back, you know? And I think they did a lot of that too. And, you know, we saw so little of them in the trailers too, which is helpful. They actually made Doc Ock the focus of all the trailers, which I thought was pretty interesting because after we see the movie now, he plays a pretty large role, but they intentionally kept Green Goblin dialogue, actual visuals, all this stuff out of the trailers as best they could, if not completely. But they did let us know he's there. You hear his laugh. You see his pumpkin bombs. That was pretty cool marketing, in my opinion. Like I said, I don't really watch the trailers. I try not to follow the things. But once you know that he was reprising the role, there's some assumptions you make. Mm-hmm. There's some things that go with that. I don't, I'm I'm pretty good at deducing these things in in film and television and storytelling and whatnot. And you've read so, a lot of comics. It's true. It was great. And even though I knew everything that was going to happen, I still loved every minute of it. And I think that might have been the biggest pop in my crowd, too. Okay, we're about to get to that because we're just going to go through the plot here because there is a lot to cover in this movie and a lot of moments that Chris and I can kind of talk about how we're received by us and our theaters both, essentially, because there are so many big moments in this. And truly, Chris, like the biggest winner at the end of the day of this film, and I say this like completely humbly and just like excited is by the end of this film tom holland fully became spider-man and this is the sort of thing where we were talking about we were alluding to over our mcu episodes this year they've done this intentionally in the mcu not making him full-fledged spider-man yet you know they've even made direct references in front of it you know spider boy spider monkey you know all these sort of things because he hadn't quite become the full Peter Parker yet. And that was intentional. And now we see all the threads they had set up and it's very impressive. And I know we can't talk about all this exactly yet because we're not to that plot point, but that to me is the biggest winner by the end of this movie. And it's kind of a um, truly poignant and somber and victorious ending to this movie because he fully is Spider-Man by the end. And everything kind of led to that. And it's really a good character movie on top of all the Easter eggs, cameos, fun, excitement. We have a, f- a three movie trilogy of Tom Holland becoming fully Spider-Man by the end. Isn't it funny how we never really got that big, crazy origin story movie, you know, mm-hmm. yet all three movies ended up being, we had the origin story by the end. Exactly. And they really, really embraced in this movie this whole idea that the MCU is a completely different universe from the comic universe and the other, you know, the Sony-verse and whatnot, whatnot. Mm -hmm. And they really, really played on that well. And I think an American audience kind of coming to understand that that idea in in pop culture could really pay a lot of dividends for comic books and, and, you know, just other forms of storytelling and art and a little bit more sci-fi just being out there. Absolutely. I think you and I were alluding to in our last episode of the Eternals, this is the beginning of the future of the MCU. But in a lot of ways, Chris, it kind of is. Like you said, they blew off the top of some story making and some timeline and and sort of 
multi-universal things, but then they also, like we were alluding to potentially in our Eternals episode, they opened up some new multiversal paths the MCU can go in the future just within its own multiverse. What I'm referring to mainly is around the world of Doctor Strange, which we'll get to. I just find that very cool that they kind of just opened up the multiverse quite literally and figuratively within the pop culture realm. As you said, other films that have existed in other worlds and then also within the MCU itself to the general audiences, because like we talked about in our Eternals, not everyone's seen Loki yet, yet, not everyone's seen WandaVision yet. So the multiverse being fully open now, or at least explained better to the main movies. Yeah, it's been introduced, I would say. We're we're That's still I mean. kind of lacking some rules and mm-hmm. protocol with this whole multiversal travel. So hopefully those will get fleshed out. I'm a big I'm a big person. I, I love in, for instance, fantasy novels when the magic system in the novel has just a system, you know, mm-hmm. just something, some rules that magic lives within for the storytelling purpose. And I just, I appreciate that. I kind of need it in a lot of ways. So I hope that uh, they give us that. I know that's very, very niche, weird and specific, but I am who I am. Don't worry, Chris. We've already mentioned on the show several times before. The listeners know you love Star Trek. Hey, Hey. good one. And Star Trek is excellent at that very thing you just mentioned. But let's just get into the plot because there's so much that happens. Chris, starting off with this movie, it was very interesting and cool that no time passed from Spider-Man Far From Home and Spider-Man No Way Home. It's literally the last shot is a pickup. We're in it. Jonah Jameson, you know, on the dailybugle.net, which was a nice touch in this universe. Mm -hmm. And he's going full, you know, Spider-Man's a menace and revealing Peter Parker's face to the world. And then, of course, Peter and MJ are swarmed by the crowd. Peter goes and tells Ned and May and Happy that we also learn that May and Happy have now broken up. These are all important things of the plot early on. Peter's life is turned upside down immediately. And then we immediately go into the Department of Damage Control talking about how he's going to have to pay not only fiscally, but potentially jail time Mm. because the world believes Mysterio's lie early on in this movie. The DODC back again. Setting up some threads here, right? You hate to see it. You hate to see it. But I think now's the time we talk about that first major, huge cheer. And Chris, you know, this was probably a huge moment for me. And they intentionally, I think the way they executed the scene was very strong. We have May, Happy, and Peter all talking about what he's going to do with his charges. And without any introduction or anything, the camera just immediately cuts to someone else at the table (laughs) talking about how his charges are being dropped now because Matt Murdock got the charges dropped and he's there. Charlie is there reprising the role. Fantastic to see big hoop and a holler. Oh man, it was crazy. I did not like the theater I saw it with, Mm. but that moment, the theater I saw it with was good. They enjoyed that moment. Yeah. They enjoyed all the moments. They were just loud. Mm. Wouldn't quit talking. Oh yeah. You're talking about, between the moments they were talking. Yeah. Also, the people throwing bricks through Peter's window and Matt Murdock catching it. Oh, was, man. It's pretty incredible. Great touches. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, how'd you do that? Yeah. Murdock's quip back to that. I'm a really good lawyer. <laughs> I'm so happy that he's reprised the role. I just can't wait to hear more about it. I hope that's not the end. I hope that signifies something going on in the future and i wonder if that does happen if the netflix verse will be kind of 
officially welcomed into the MCU or if it'll kind of be its own deal that we just don't talk about? I feel like it will be, but the question is of how much and how little that we'll get to that later. But I think She-Hulk will answer a lot of these questions for us. I think you're absolutely right. Great point. Now, that was just a fun early movie thing that they just kind of dropped in and that that's we're done. The next part of the movie is about Peter, MJ and Ned's MIT applications all being rejected because they say, if you've been associated with Spider-Man, we unfortunately cannot even accept you into MIT, even though all of you have the test scores and grades and recommendations to back it up. Now, this is where Peter, he goes to Peter Parker here, Chris. This is the start of all the issues in this movie. And I kind of love it because by the end, he is Spider-Man. I mean, it's the most Peter Parker response to all of these things that you could possibly think of. <laughs> he goes to Dr. Strange, right? Right. Just right off the bat. That's where we go. Yeah. And a fun set piece change. The Sanctorum is had a blizzard that flew through some portals. And then Wong is there and says, don't cast the spell, Strange, whatever you do. And then Strange says, well, I'm probably going to. And Wong says, whatever, then I'm just leave me out of this whole thing. <laughs> Which is completely different than the, what we're shown in the trailer, which is good. They, they they did do a lot of twists and turns like that. They did. I really liked the tidbit that Wong is the Sorcerer Supreme. It's pretty cool. Still, love it. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I suspect that that will change, but it's very cool. And he's obviously busy doing something important yes. that I suspect we will also figure out in a movie or two. Also, Benedict Wong continues his streak, Chris, of being now the C-3PO of the MCU. He's just in every He's movie. He's just everything. He's in every movie, and he has something to say. Even if it's a brief part, it's it's usually great. And then he'll pop out of the movie, and then he'll be in the next one somehow. And that's, that's his new role, and I kind of love it. I don't think they ever intended this initially when they cast him, and Wong was so well-received and loved, and then it's just been nothing but Wong since. Great. Fantastic. But- we do get a lot of Strange and Peter building in these moments, and this is one of the things I told you I was looking forward to a lot, kind of the new, older role model character that Peter's going to have in his life, because, of course, it was Tony for the longest time. I don't know. They they build a lot of this interesting relationship between them where Strange actually cares about the kid but doesn't want to show it, even more than almost... He has an apathy even more than Tony did initially, you know? It's kind of this weird... Strange is trying not to show emotion and Peter's always talking, always asking a million questions, you know, and that's what goes wrong with the spell. Right. Just overly excitable. Peter Parker getting overly excited. He hasn't thought in everything out. He wants his friends to go to college. Yeah. Then he starts to think it all out audibly and <laughs> screws the whole spell up. Of course. Of course. Oh, of course. But this is all with good intentions, like we said. He he just wants his friends' lives to be normal, you know? He wants their, his loved ones to retain their memories. And this is what ends up making the spell corrupted with Strange. Because Strange has to change that one more time, where he's like, oh, you actually want MJ and Ned and May and Happy to still remember who you are? Okay, I'll change that. And that's when the spell goes wrong, truly. Because he already changes so many times at that point. The spell goes wrong. They think they've contained it. Strange has it kind of contained in an ironclad box, you know, very complication there. Well, yeah, it was kind of reminded me of the Ghostbusters type thing, too. Oh, absolutely. Just holding this giant spell in a very tiny box. So the MIT thing didn't work. Spell didn't actually work. So Peter goes to find an MIT administrator 
just to ask her in person. Once again, another Peter Parker thing. I love the details in this movie, Chris, where it's like I mentioned before, this was something we saw in the trailers. Peter is actually wearing a suit, tie, and blazer, all very similar to what Toby wears in this Rami universe. That's a fun nod. But also on top of that, incredibly wrinkled blazer, incredibly like messed up tie and shirt. It's, you know, he's still got his Nikes on. It's great. Like he's just, he's not really thinking all this through, but he, but he's trying, he's trying a hundred percent. Exactly. He's leaping before thinking, but yep, that's very young Parker. And I think, you know, maybe by the end of the movie, it's a lesson he's learned. Things quickly turn when Dr. Otto Octavius shows up from the Rainbow universe and such a great scene, great fight. Probably one of the better fights in the movie. Chris, I agree. We have Doc Ock doing all the Doc Ock things. He's throwing cars. He's throwing civilians. Peter's saving them while still fighting Ock. <sighs> Lots of good things happening. Peter saves the MIT administrator. Doc Ock also just straight up takes the nanotech from Peter's suit onto his arms. Mm, that was very cool. He's very impressed, but he also starts using him. But this is actually how Peter beats him because Peter actually uses the Stark Friday AI to control the nanotech and control Doc Ock's arms, which is which is a nice little twist. But the biggest end of this, actually, story-wise, is Peter's mask comes off and Doc Ock realizes, you're not Peter Parker. You're not Peter Parker. You're someone else. It's not the right Parker. <laughs> Some things have changed. A couple of things have changed, but a few things I want to touch on in the fight is just, honestly... An awesome fight scene. Mm-hmm. A lot of great quips. And I just... Mm, reprising the role of Otto Octavius. Alfred Molina, yeah. Alfred Molina did such a great job. And from the beginning, just mm-hmm. every scene he's in is just... He's fantastic. Yeah, he doesn't skip a beat, honestly. He almost stole the movie, but not quite. <laughs> well, someone we'll makes an there. appearance... At the end of the scene, and this is actually another great movie moment in my theater, Chris, where Peter has control of the arms. He saves the MIT administrator. Dr. Octopus is under control. And then we hear the laugh and we see the pumpkin bomb. The highway blows up and Green Goblin flies into frame laughing. It's the Defoe laugh in the Rammy suit. And then immediately Dr. Strange pulls Peter and Dr. Octopus through a portal back to the Sanctum Sanctorum. And this was a hilarious moment in my personal theater because some guy just screamed, no, <laughs> like he really wanted to see <laughs> Green Goblin. I'm like, just wait, just wait. We'll see Green Goblin. I'm sure. I, that's what I told myself, at least. Oh, and we did. Now we're at the next part of the film where essentially Dr. Ock explains what happened, that now the corrupted spell has summoned people from other universes and they all know Spider-Man's identity. That's the through line here is the people being summoned from other universes are tied to the Spider-Man identity or name. And he tells Peter that he needs Peter, MJ, and Ned to find the rest of these people in the world, bring them back to the Sanctum Sanctorum through a Doctor Strange portal gun of sorts and put Mm -hmm. them in their cells and then strange will send them all back to the respective timelines and all will be well with the multiverse that's strange's theory at least well this kicks off the part of the movie where it is just reveal after reveal that's true (laughs) lots of them it's very fun let's start with dr connor's because dr strange actually fought him in the sewer and captured him he's silent 
for a lot of the movie, which I thought was a nice touch. It was a very good touch. When he finally does speak, it's very, it's very funny. It's very Connors, right? Going to the next part of the movie, I mean, we have Peter and his newfound and made black suit, not the symbiote suit, a black suit Spider-Man, and Ned and MJ are helping him track these individuals that Strange has laid out in the world, and Peter fights Electro and Sandman. Pretty good fight, and it's pretty funny the nods we have to the respective movies and the fighting styles. This is different Peter Parker, though. He's less experienced. And he's also unpredictable compared to what they fought before. So it's just interesting. But Jamie Foxx returned as Electro. Oh, and he did a great job. Very fun. I was very happy with it. I always enjoy Thomas Hayden Church. As the Sandman. Oh, no, I just enjoy him. Oh, yeah. Um, He's good at everything. As the Sandman, of course, I, I think he does a great job. I think he really captures, you know, he captures the characters kind of very split motivations uh, very well. And with limited time, too. I think he does a good job. Well, that's something we can get out of the way now, Chris, where it's like Flint Marco and Dr. Connors in particular, they have the least screen time, the lizard and the Sandman. And like you said, they're not wasted. They're not cameos. But I think they both do a really good job in the movie and they serve their role in the movie. It's just fun to have them. But this fight's very good. We actually have Sandman and Spider-Man fighting Electro. And Nice twist with this Electro, Chris. He restores his body because the power in this this universe is different from the Sony universe of Spider-Man. And so much so that not only does he restore his body, but he changes the way his body looks. And then he actually amplifies his Electro powers by a lot in this movie. He becomes a true supervillain in this movie. But I thought it was very, very interesting. There's a lot of different ways you could interpret the power of this universe could be the stark tech could be celestial related it could be interesting any number of things and likely it's the stark tech i know i know you don't have to yell at the speakers but i don't know it's just kind of fun to think about some of the other possibilities they could take it in if you know something struck or a new you know some idea struck or something who knows absolutely so peter actually gets Sandman and Electro under control and back to the Sanctorum. They both actually feel very betrayed by Peter because he kind of got them talking and that's when the portals happen and they get locked in their cells as well. Now, what's interesting about this, Chris, is we immediately jump to, you know, something that I'm very excited to talk about, as you can imagine, Willem Dafoe reprising his role as Norman Osborn. We see a scene of him abandoning the mask, talking to the mask like he's done in the Rami films and and the comics. And he says, I'm walking away from from you. I'm done with you. It's very Smeagol and Gollum. It's an excellent choice because that mask doesn't hold up. It's a cool mask, but it doesn't fit this universe. That whole costume he had doesn't (laughs) fit this universe at all. Not one bit. Mm. But the portrayal is fantastic. It's very fun. He's very good. I don't know how he's gotten better, but he has. I mean, Willem Dafoe, he's, he's got 20 more years of tenure under his belt. But specifically talking about Willem and some behind-the-scenes info I collected after seeing this movie, he was reluctant to come back because he said this is such a beloved character and a character that I know is a big character in Spider-Man. And he didn't want to mess it up. He said, I don't want to be a cameo. I don't want to be you know, just a wink at the camera or something. 
And then they showed him the script. Clearly, he wasn't a cameo. Clearly, he had a role to play. And clearly, there was some exploration of the character with this Peter. And he said, I'm in as long as I can do all my own stunts. Oh, yeah. I love that. And, you know, for a man approaching his 70s and his late 60s, that's very impressive. And he did not disappoint because Willem basically said, I know they do this all the time with movies today just your face and some other actor he said but what's the point he said this is such a physical character he said the fighting helps the performance and he's right i mean goblin is a very ferocious and visceral character i mean he is a absolutely harry osborne is a is a mentally ill man with schizophrenia and then the goblin is a, a feral thing and it makes perfect sense that he wants to inhabit all the physicality of it and he does that in this movie and of course we get introduced to him as osborne not as the goblin and he's gone to the the shelter that may works at and she calls peter and that's actually our first scene with norman osborne which is honestly quite a twist and that's they kind of make you feel like you're gonna have another fight right and they don't and that's pretty interesting it definitely was leading up to that but yeah peter got hoodwinked he got he got suckered in, uh, but of course he thinks he's he's making progress there, like he was mm-hmm. with the other other villains. Uh, you know, just kind of talking things out and piecing things together, mm-hmm. both parties. But this one, I think <laughs> Peter trusted the wrong one. He should have trusted the first ones. Mm-hmm. I think. I think they were ready to 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 extend the olive branch or at least work together to find a solution right you know maybe open up and and kind of you know quote unquote help fix themselves or whatever but he trusted the one he shouldn't trust <laughs> and that's just Norman this Osborne. is an inexperienced spider-man well it's true and he, he also wants to help everybody and that's kind of the through he line does. of this movie chris is when norman's introduced me being a fashion guy i've got to talk about this costume choice they had for norman absolutely brilliant purple hoodie with the green tweed pea coat over it. Very cool. Iconic colors of the goblin without actually being in the goblin suit. Meanwhile, the goblin suit's actually on the whole time underneath this oversized pea coat and hoodie because that's intentional. That's why he's wearing an oversized pea coat and hoodie. But it's cool the colors are there all the same. They didn't have to go that route. They could have gone MCU real with it. They could have just made him wear a gray pea coat or something. But right. they, they actually nodded to the classic character, you know, very awesome. But Peter brings Norman back. And that's when Strange actually puts him in a cell and Norman actually starts freaking out and he's very confused. I thought we were friends. What's happening? Strange reveals to Peter that he's found out that in all these timelines, all these villains perish fighting Peter Parker. And Tom Holland's saying, that will not stand. I have to sit, try to save them. Gotta save them. Gotta save them all. Every single one of them. My Aunt May's taught me better. That's when this movie really kicks off, Chris. That's the moment. You think it's when he starts seeing the villains, because that's kind of how they marketed this movie. But that's the first domino and the many dominoes that end with him becoming Spider-Man by the end. Well, the first domino leads to this fight with Doctor Strange. That's right. And it's super cool. And I thought it did a great job, the resolution of illustrating why a step in Peter's development into the Spider-Man instead of the Mm Spider-Boy. And in the resolution of the using of geometry and realizing that he can apply these things, his, his brain is fast enough to do these things. And he does. And he completely takes Strange 
by surprise. Crazy. With geometry. A masterful chess move uh, in that fight. It was just, it was very cool. And to see him one-up someone so powerful was classic Parker, man. In his own mirror dimension, which is a crazy thing. Oh, yeah. And I also love that the trailers showed us elements of that, but we actually didn't get to see it because the visual effects were changed for the movie. You know, in the trailers, we see that whole train thing the strange is doing where he's essentially making the train replicate itself and spin around them and hold them in there but it's in like a canyon it's you you yeah it makes you almost assume that strange and peter are fighting spider foes together not the case they're fighting each other and it's actually in new york city in the mirror universe very cool i don't know i was very into it (laughs) it was very cool the cinematography and effects were pretty neat yeah you know classic mirror dimension but just honed in that little bit more because they've done it a number of times now. It just keeps getting better. When I love that it was director John Watts, of course, the director of all three of these Tom Holland films, once again, doing that very visual sequence in the film. And notably, the last major one was an incredible sequence. It was very evocative of Mysterio or Scarecrow, but it was the mysterious sequence, which was many layers of size changing and world changing and multiple Peters and multiple Mysterios and all that good stuff. We got another sequence of that again. And that was pretty cool to see a stylistic choice happen again, but he beats strange. He takes the spell box, gives it to MJ and Ned sends them somewhere else. And then Peter says, I got to start figuring this out. I've got to save all of them. I got to figure out where they go wrong before they go back, you know, and and this is so Peter and, the dominoes are moving now and strange is not going anywhere, Chris. So he can't actually stop Peter from doing this. He is trapped in his own mirror dimension and Peter teams up with the spider foes and starts working. And we get a montage of sorts. We get kind of a bro, bro hangout film here for a little bit. He takes them back to happy's apartment, which it was cool to see happy's apartment. Of course, Peter bring all his Star Wars Legos there. We got a full circle Disney thing with John Favreau now in Star Wars, mm-hmm. and you know, and he knows that Happy has a lot of contraband Stark tech that should have been taken away from him after you know, and Happy's got it there, and he starts working on these spider foes, these spider villains, and the first one he cures, I say cures, Chris, but he really does, is he fixes the AI and Dr. Otto's arms. That was a true cure. Absolutely. Otto becomes himself once again and, of course, begins to help Peter with the rest of the spider foes. And I think I think number two was Electro going in. He puts the Stark tech on his chest to start taking the power out and kind of restore him to a normal human man. Dissipate. Yeah. And that's when. That's our countdown. So that's our countdown. Absolutely, Chris. And that's the countdown that starts the arrival of the green goblin he shows his face and of course it's the classic scene where he's not looking you just hear his voice you know because the character has turned the schizophrenia has taken over if not it's been in control the whole time which is what we're led to believe now that you know norman has actually been under the control of the green goblin this whole time he just was putting out a really good act and it's 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 a tough moment man because may's there and Electro's not really certain, and Flint Marco's there, and he's also not really certain of what's going to happen either. We get a great monologue. That's true. <laughs> Spider villain monologues are good. Always, always. And it leads, man, it just keeps on leading to 
awesome fight scenes, but intensity too. Oh, gosh, lots of intensity. So, well, we have Electro. He doesn't want it anymore. He's decided he can't nope. get rid of this power, and he starts fighting Doctor Octopus just right off the bat because Doctor Octopus is trying to talk sense to them. Guys, he cured me. He's trying to save our lives. Come to your senses. So this fight is going to kind of lead to the dispersal of the spider foes, but also it's going to lead to something. The moment. Even worse. The moment. I'm not crying. You're crying. That's right. Peter actually fights the Green Goblin. And this whole time, he's trying to buy time for May to escape. And she does escape, Chris, but she comes back. Because she has to help. She has to help. And she comes back to try to bludgeon the goblin, you know, because he's about to kill, essentially, her son, Peter. And uh, this is where we have the Dark Knight of the Soul. We have the Peter Parker moment. And, you know, they did a really interesting thing in these movies, Chris, where they they gave us a false sense of security because we didn't get Peter's origin story, so we didn't get this moment. Mm -hmm. And you almost Mm -hmm. assume, because we all know the origin story, that Uncle Ben died and that this happened and that he started becoming... Spider Boy. Or you could even tell yourself Uncle Ben never, maybe Uncle Ben passed from natural means, but they've chosen to use Robert Downey as kind of an Uncle Ben moment. Because Robert Downey, Tony Stark, was Peter's surrogate father, superhero role model, and he passes fighting Thanos. And then the last steady thing in his life. That's right. Beloved Aunt May, killed by the Green Goblin's glider. Of course, she doesn't let Peter know how bad it is after the goblin kind of gets away and he, Peter, sees what's happening and he goes and rushes to help her. Just a tough, gut-wrenching scene. Excellently performed and goodness, goodness gracious. Tom Holland, Willem Dafoe, and Marissa Tomei, all three of them, they kind of knock the scene out of the park, Chris, and this is kind of the, in my opinion, the scene of the movie. This is the scene. And... Without all three of them being at their peak performance, the scene wouldn't hit the way it does. And it certainly does. And Goblin kind of leaving the scene, he taunts Peter and he says, you know, you've done this, Peter. You've done this. You've brought this upon yourself and your family. And you were so eager to help and all this. And, you know, the irony of this is as Aunt May is dying in Peter's arms, he says, I shouldn't have done this. This is the wrong path I took. I shouldn't have tried to help them. And she said, no, you did the right thing. Like what you did was the correct and right thing. Just sometimes things happen, but you've always got to do the right thing. And of course, she utters the line with great power. There must also come great responsibility, a subtle change on the classic line. Very subtle. Yep. And she's gone. And then, of course, Happy shows up and he witnesses this as well. He's arrested by that classic group we mentioned earlier, Mm. (laughs) the DDC. They're meddling everywhere, and and Jonah Jameson shows up, and he's got Spider-Man on camera. He's got the carnage on videos for the whole world of Green Goblin causing the carnage, and it's it's a it's a tough scene, man. It's rough. It's very very hard to get through, but we know what's next, and they add some levity because Peter does go into hiding, Chris, and he's actually quite injured as well, and they do a pretty. Interesting and dramatic thing here where we cut away from Peter entirely because Aunt May's gone. We don't know where Peter's going. And we go to MJ and Ned and we're with them for some time. And we actually don't know where Peter is because he's actually actively hiding from us, the viewers and the world. 
because he's public enemy number one right now, and he's at the dark night of the soul of his character arc. But it's okay. <laughs> we can fill in this this Spider-Man shaped hole in our hearts. We can. Because Ned is learning how to use the sling ring here because he's apparently a natural wizard. <laughs> Twist. I mean, yeah, okay, but how long did it take Doctor Strange exactly you know, to learn how to do the sling ring? And I know it took him longer than other students. They made that very clear in his movie, mm-hmm. but I don't know, man. He just kind of does it. I'm assuming they're going to give us a full MCU thing where they're like, Ned's oh, from a line of, you know. Oh, yeah. They'll convo- pull it together. Convocation. But Ned and MJ are trying to figure this thing out, and he 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 asks to see, to see Peter Parker. That's right. So we don't, we don't know where Peter's been. So Ned gets the sling ring to work, and we see a Parker in the distance. That's right. We see a Spider-Man. We see a Spider-Man. And Spider-Man starts running towards <laughs> the portal. The portal. And he is there and he's Spider-Man, but he's not our Spider-Man. Why? Oh. Why, Jesse, that's... <laughs> the amazing Spider-Man? That could be the amazing Spider-Man portrayed by Andrew Garfield. My personal favorite of the Spider-Man. Yo, mine too now. Oh, yours now? No lie. He stole the show, dude. He really did. He's incredible. Well, we're going to talk about his arc in this because he actually has a really cool arc in this because yeah, he does. unlike the other guys, he had the least films to do things. And he had some of the most questionable decisions in the films made around his character. Now, what's interesting about Andrew, which I always loved about Andrew, why he's my favorite Spider-Man we've seen in films, because he was actually my favorite Spider-Man, my least favorite Peter Parker. And that's kind of the interesting juxtaposition mm. they did. I thought he was the best quippy overconfident sarcastic spider-man and they actually use that as a character arc tool in this film because great observation the last time we leave him chris it's a it's a dark scene you know he saves gwen with a web line through the bell tower but she actually breaks her entire spine through the force it's one of the only times superhero movies actually acknowledge the physics and gravity of the real world you know, because we've talked about this before, but, you know, a lot of scientists have talked about just how if Tony Stark was jumping off a building and his suit was appearing around him, it doesn't matter if his suit had jets at the end, his organs would be jostled all around his body and he'd be done. He'd be done. <laughs> they just straight in the Amazing Spider-Man movie number two, Spider-Man saved her with web line. The actual reverberation through the entire line snapped back down and, you know, poor Emma played a great Gwen. Just killed her. And uh, Andrew has this incredible scene with her lifeless body, and that's where we leave him, essentially. And what's really interesting is he was this overconfident, sarcastic, quippy Spider-Man. He kind of nailed the Spider-Man character when the mask's on. And we see him in this film very different. He has the five o'clock shadow the whole time because he doesn't quite care about that as much anymore. He is very unconfident which is very opposite of what his character was in these films and he actually needs a lot of reassurance and he's got a lot of genuine mental health things going on and i find that really compelling because when we first see him he's actually very humorous covering up a lot of things with humor like his character did in some of those movies but as the movie goes on and progresses we actually see more of his vulnerability what actually happened and you know the whole time i i'm seeing him chris as i'm saying well I know what the number one move moment of this movie is going to be for me now, and nothing else <laughs> matters to me. After Tom Holland becomes Spider-Man, it's number one. Number two is Andrew Garfield's redemption of saving someone as they're falling a great height, and 
they don't pass away when he saves them. Uh, someone important, possibly. And that was my first thought when I saw him on scene. We get to that later. <laughs> but man, he knocks it out of the park in this film. He does. He absolutely does. I would love to see him uh, in another Spider-Man movie. I just, I really would. I would too. At this point. He's excellent in this film. But of course, we're going to get another Peter. That's right. Toby Maguire makes his entrance. Yeah, because Ned tries the Peter Parker trick again. And this time we get Toby not in a spider suit, just in normal clothes. Or as the perfectly well-executed joke by Andrew Garfield, why are you dressed like a cool youth pastor? It was really good. Uh, this joke broke my wife because, number one, both of us grew up with all these Spider-Man films, loving them. And number two, we both grew up around, you know, some youth pastor services around here. And it, the joke was, it was kind of perfect. Spot on. And Toby was in that really nice, well-fitted bomber jacket, you know, and that's, that's, that's a staple of some of these guys. So now what's funny about this is we get Toby, we have a great scene between these two other Peters that aren't our Peter establishing who they are. They don't know each other. They're from different universes, which is very cool. We, that's made very clear. Now, Andrew Garfield's Peter even talks about, wait, multiverse string theory, quantum physics, all of it. He's like, I knew it, you know, and it's pretty great. Now, Let's talk about Toby showing up because this is this is big, but also I found the way they did Toby absolutely perfect. Like I am so happy, Chris, they made the choice to pull the villains from their actual moments in time in the movies before they die. But then they pulled our Peter Parkers from many, many years down the line in the timeline. Yes. They didn't have to de-age these two actors, number one. Number two, both of them have grown a lot since we've seen them. Notably, you know, Toby's in his late 40s, Andrew's in his late 30s. Like, these are things that are very nice juxtapositions to our Tom Holland Spider-Man, who's just applying for college. (laughs) You know, this is good. It's fantastic. It reminds me of some comic book moments, of course, uh, and and I'll get to that. Mm -hmm. But- I do want to go ahead and move on to all three Spider-Men in their first scene together mm. on the school rooftop. MJ leads them there because she knows. Oh, she knows. They, they, they say, where would he go to be alone and hide away from the world? You know, they, they say the lines. They know the Peter Parker things. And she knows exactly where that is. Yep. What a scene here, though, Chris. Great scene. In this scene, we deal with a lot of trauma. We deal with... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We we watch these three characters accept that they're different versions of each other and almost start interacting as as brothers. That's true. There there does become this also you know this mentor relationship with the other two Spider Men and but Toby also kind of mentors Andrew Garfield there too definitely as well and you know the three start to work together to find these cures and everything. We literally get the pointing Spider Man scene. I was going to say, we get the meme. <laughs> Not expecting that. That was strange. I wasn't either. But we should have, because early in the film, because, you know, Willem Dafoe ex- expertly reprises the line, I'm something of a scientist myself, Peter. I was going to say, we missed the we missed mentioning that meme earlier, so we got to get this one. But they got the Spider-Man pointing meme. Mm. They, they find the true meaning of Spider-Man. It's just what we do. It's just what we do. And also science, like using our brains, right? On top of trying to do the right thing. Like Peter's superpowers have always been second fiddle to his true powers, right? This is kind of where I believe 
that our young dear Spider-Man learns to work smarter and not always harder. Love that. But it's it's a fantastic scene with all of them working together. They come up with a plan and then it's going to lead us to the payoff. Yeah. And this this last culminating fight this kind of climactic fight scene here near the end of the film is where we get my personal favorite mo- moment from the movie. Okay. I'll I'll let you know what it is when we get there. Yeah, my mine might be in this fight too to be honest, but I've already alluded to it. But I like that you mentioned Chris them talking about their trauma in that first scene and then they have the science lab scene and then we have a scene of them prepping on this new statue of liberty with the cap shield which is very cool because they mentioned that in hawkeye and mm-hmm. we're kind of getting some three right. lines of continuity here even though things are being filmed recorded released all at different times this is the mcu get used to it you know it's part of it yeah i do want to make a point on that uh just really fast yeah. i'm pretty sure that in timeline and i know the mcu timeline they've they've already screwed it up pretty bad but I think in timeline, this is all happening near the same time that Hawkeye's happening. I'm pretty sure it's the same Christmas. Yeah. Christmas is after this fight. So yeah, like this is happening right before, yeah. or right during the beginning of Hawkeye or something. Correct. Interesting. A lot of New York things being laid out for this next phase, I think. Well, we'll know we'll know more tomorrow, buddy. That's true. But I do like Chris this final bonding scene of the spider-man all their masks are off once again you know we have <laughs> the back popping so wonderful you know <laughs> that lower back pain that's a funny in joke but i i want to say i i'm gonna take a little umbrage here i do not think this is the final bonding moment oh that's what true. happens here is we have we have their they unpack some things and they grow as a as a team as a unit and they lay out their plan they all get real peter parker about things and then the bad guys start to show up. That's true. And they realize they're all great solo performers, but they're not a team. They're not used to working in teams. But you know who kind of comes to the rescue with that? They they have a they have a meeting of the minds on the Statue of Liberty while the bad guys all kind of go a little crazy. And Tom Holland has worked on a team. <laughs> He's an Avenger. He is. And he'll tell you. These guys have never heard of the Avengers, and that's another great feature. Uh, that was funny. But this is where we have our final bonding moment where they come together as a team. I don't know what exactly Tom Holland said to make it all work because it didn't really sound like any <laughs> actual X's and O's. It was just like, hey, go do better. Well, he just started saying like, oh, you're Peter 2, you're Peter 3. I'm Peter 1. That's true. And That's I'm going to start giving did. commands and everyone just listens to my commands even if you guys are more experienced basically. And that's kind of what he does. He'll say, Peter 2, go left. He Peter, does. Peter 3, go right. I'll go up the mid. Peter 3, come back around. Well, that is my favorite moment of the movie. Mm. Seeing all three Spider-Men jump off of the uh, Statue of that's Liberty uh, together, swinging into action together, just gave me goosebumps. I loved it. I loved it so much. Yeah, and they start curing people, and this is what's this is a big standing ovation moment in my film, my theater as well, Chris. People seeing all three of them working together, big moment. But then they start curing people, and that's pretty cool. Doctor Connors gets cured. You know, we have Doctor Strange show up, and he's trying to shut the whole thing down. But then he actually starts. Even Doctor Strange's sort of Grinch heart starts growing, and he sees Peter curing 
these spider foes. Exactly. And he's like, maybe Season we can do working. this. Yeah. And Do- Dr. Strangeheart's helping as well. You know, we have MJ and Ned again being brought in. This time they're in trouble because, you know, that's good. Let's just touch on this. They both did a great job. I have some things, Chris, I want to touch on with MJ. I think Zendaya, okay. in a lot of ways, anchors this film emotionally as the heart and soul of the film in a lot of ways. 100% she does. This is her best performance by far of all three films, but it, it's not that. It's She grounds it. Well, there's a looseness about her performance. This I'm taking everything in stride as best as I can and really being an emotional rock for the whole film. You're absolutely correct. She opens up, right? Because the way this MJ in this universe has been presented to us, she's got a different character arc from other MJs and other prior Spider-Man films and comics. And that that's good. I think that's actually really healthy. Oh, absolutely. And she's very, she's got a lot going on, you know, and, and something they talk about a lot in this film is they talk about her motto, you know, is always expect to be disappointed. And then when you're disappointed, you won't be disappointed. And then when something goes right, you're happy. But even her tune changes throughout this film because of Peter, because of his optimism, because of actually her support. optimism, I would say. Relentless optimism is is a perfect way to say it. And then also, Chris, like you said, it's not like he converts her. It's her support and her love of Peter. She gets on his level with that. And, you know, she's kind of got the she's she's a lot smarter than Peter in a lot of ways. And that meeting his optimism, they kind of are an unstoppable team by this end. And it's pretty great. And it's powerful. Oh, it's emotional. It's fantastic. Yes, it is extremely emotional and it gets worse. (laughs) (laughs) It does. But let's talk about MJ because her and Ned are being attacked by the spider foes. And, you know, Ned gets saved by Doctor Strange's cape. But she falls off the cliff. And this was the this is the moment for me, Chris, because I think one of the most emotional moments in all the Spider-Man films is that scene we talked about earlier of Peter not right. saving Gwen in The Amazing Spider-Man number two. And Andrew, I mean, he, he sees it happen because what happens is Peter goes to save her and he has her. And then the goblin shows up finally and he takes right. Peter away and... It starts going slow motion. It goes muffled sound. I mean, they want the audience to be hooked into this moment. Hey, man, I was. Andrew jumps down. He. It's literally the same shots from the Amazing Spider-Man movies. And he saves MJ. And, you know, it's powerful because in that first scene where they're talking about their trauma, you know, he says, I couldn't save Gwen. I did my best. And she was my MJ is what he says to, to Tom. Right. And, you know, it kind of grounds it not only for us as pop culture people in this universe we live in of 20 years of Spider-Man films, but it grounds it for Tom Holland's Spider-Man because it's important, right? That puts it in perspective for him. And I loved also, too, that Toby talks about how he, him and his MJ finally made it work and they got married and, you know, he's kind of living two lives and he's actually balancing it in his late 40s. And that worked. It can happen, you know. You've got these different stages of the character and I find it very interesting. But Andrew does save MJ. And he says, are you okay? And she's like, well, I'm, I'm okay. And that's his, his arc kind of, we get to see the redemption of his arc that never happened in Amazing Spider-Man 3 because the plug was pulled. And that's pretty powerful that we kind of got a, a conclusion to an arc from a different movie <laughs> that's not even MCU. It's unreal. It's fantastic. It, it just goes to show that when Marvel and Sony kind of pull their heads out. Yeah. And they stop getting a little money, money mongering for both of them. Mm-hmm. Magic happens. It's just standing in it's standing in the way of them making even more. I think this <laughs> has made so much more money than they expected. Absolutely. Already. 
Oh, man. But now we got to talk about the Tom Holland Green Goblin fight. Now, Green Goblin is in his full new costume. It is the Rami costume, but it has modifications. It has the purple scarf. Oh, I love it. We have Willem Dafoe's face fully exposed. I love it because we want to see those facial expressions he's making. And he is just, they're having a brutal fight. Blades are out on Green Goblin's gauntlets. And it's good. Peter is mad and he's filling with rage. And let's talk about Tom Holland's performance. We've talked about it throughout this whole movie, Chris. It's so good. So many levels of this performance. This is the best he's ever done. But I mean, this scene comes out because there's not a lot said. And that's what I always prefer. I always rather be shown than told. And a lot's being shown here. It's very, it's, look, I keep saying it. It's really good. <laughs> it's the level of emotion. Mm-hmm that Tom Holland portrays and the amount of things we see him process in real time as Peter Parker Mm. is pretty astounding. Uh, Just the way he just acts with his face through, through this scene. And of course, as he starts to lose his temper for real, and he's going to kill the green goblin, none other than Tobey Maguire steps up stops him right the you know the 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 older brother he steps in he says no this is not what we do this is not how we do and things. toby's lived this before right i mean goblin tried to kill toby with the glider toby spider sensed it jumped out of the way killed goblin and you know this would be goblin number two that's you know been killed by a spider-man i say in quotes but this this was this was about to be murder chris i mean he had the glider in his hands he was about to bring it down on the goblin he it was, was very different from Toby's he gonna, fight. He was gonna guillotine, <laughs> guillotine that sucker. That was that was pretty. That was pretty. Uh, yeah, man. I for a, for a second I believed it was gonna happen, but no, no. Toby stops it, of course. Then Toby gets stabbed by the Green Goblin, you know. And Goblin has another monologue right. about how they're all weak. They're all let their guard down. Blah blah blah. All all the things you know of someone who's you know truly chaotic evil would say. Peter. Looks like he's about to lunge at him again and instead brings out the cure, baby, and stabs him right in the neck with the cure. And we immediately get back to Norman Osborne and he's like, where am I? What's happening? You know, and it's almost like you can hear Aunt May's voice in Peter's head in these scenes because you see his facial expressions change and he's like, Aunt May was right. Like, he's still just an ill man inside the goblin, right? This whole time. Right. They all get saved. We didn't talk about Electro, but he gets saved. We get great nods to, I bet there's a black Spider-Man out there, especially from Queens. Mm -hmm. Man, they're just setting up all sorts of things. Oh my. It's good, Chris. Sandman gets saved. Toby actually cures him, which is pretty cool. It was all executed so well, but the movie always outdoes, outdoes itself. Strange is basically saying, Peter, they're coming in. I can't stop them. You know, we think it's over with Green Goblin. And then Dr. Strange is saying, Peter, come up here. I can't stop them. The fabric of the universe is breaking. And we see these entities breaking through literally the sky of New York. So I saw Craven and Rhino. <laughs> who who else did you see? Those are the main ones I saw. There's a lot of silhouettes. You know, I saw some. A ton. And I wish I could rewatch the scene. Yeah, I saw some muscular si- silhouettes, which obviously made me think of Venom and others. But I don't know. Like, I think the Easter eggs are probably there if you pause it and look really closely. But I don't think necessarily that was the intention as much in this scene, Chris, you know? Oh, for sure. It's just, you know, it's neat. It's fun. It's fun. No, I know. You and I both Rhino fans here. It's very exciting. Oh, yeah. But once again, the movie continues to outdo itself emotionally, Chris. And Peter realized the only way to predict the multiverse is they have to do the spell again. But this time, 
erase himself from everyone's memory. And he requests Strange to do so. You know, Strange is like, are you sure? He's like, they will forget. We will all forget about you and how we care and love you and getting to know you. And, you know, Strange kind of has his little moment there, which is very powerful. It's, man, it's honestly, it's another tough scene. There's there's a some tough few tearjerkers in this one, man. Oh, yeah. I'm tearing up right now talking about all these scenes. And he has his goodbyes with MJ and Ned. And it's it's, it's another one, man. It's not easy. It's not easy. He has his goodbye with Andrew and Toby as well. You got the brothers lifting each other up. They're both injured. Mm-hmm. They're just brothering it up, like you said, brotherly love. So good. His final scene with MJ, once again, I think kind of cements what I mentioned earlier, just the power of this relationship through these three films and how she was the glue the whole time through all three of these films and how this final decision is cementing him becoming Spider-Man. He's making the hard decision for the good of everyone, for the good of the whole world. And no one will know. <laughs> not no, even strange. Will not. not even strange. Well, do you think that strange will remember that he did this thing with Spider-Man? Possibly. I don't know. Because it's not like they don't remember who Spider-Man is. They don't know who Spider-Man is, but they remember Spider-Man. Existing in the world, right? Fighting crime. Yes, because, yeah. I mean, you, you, we get a clip immediately after that right. of uh, the old Triple J talking about Spider-Man on That's true. DailyBugle.net or whatever. <laughs> Man. Oh, can we talk about that DailyBugle.net where he was in front of his webcam? That was so good with the green screen. Oh, my gosh. His room was just piled with junk and... Oh, man. Oh, making fun of so <laughs> many terrible people. <laughs> uh, but then he was, in, he was in the big studio later. But I just thought it was funny that we, sh- we saw his home studio, too. And it was not like the big studio at all. It's pretty great. The spells cast. Everyone gets sit- sent home to their universes. And then we see it's now Christmas. And Peter goes to visit MJ at her work. And he's written a note. He's explained everything in this long, long letter. And once again, we have another moment of him changing from the Spider-Boy to the Spider-Man. She doesn't know who he is, and he doesn't follow through with it, Chris. He doesn't read this note. You know, Ned's there, and he talks himself out of it. And I think in a positive way, I think he's like, what am I doing? You know, it's tough. It's tough. He's lost everyone. Everyone. Literally, he's lost everyone. And we thought it was bad with Tony. I mean, he's even lost Happy, right? And they make that very clear in the next scene Mm. because we go to May's grave. We have the iconic scene from the comics and all the movies. Spider-Man at the grave of his surrogate parent. And Happy shows up and he's like, how'd you know her? He's like, through Spider-Man. And he's like, so did I. And they talk about how wonderful a woman she was and how what she taught will not be lost on the world. And Happy's like, you really think that? And Peter's like, I know that because the people that she taught her loving ways to and the way treat everyone equally and the same is going to live on in them. And Happy's like, never thought of it that way. That's, and you know, kind of brings a smile to Happy. And this is a tough movie for Happy too. He's not doing good the whole time. (laughs) No. Just a lot of loss in this movie, a lot of dealing with loss. And, uh, but I mean, at the end of the day, it's an excellent, excellent movie. And he builds a new suit at the end, Chris, himself. That's when he became the Spider Man. He was no longer yep. needing uh, anybody else. He didn't need Tony. Uh, this is, you know, we're, we're phasing into that, that era of Spider Man where he's going to live alone and fund living alone by reporting on spider-man so we'll see i mean i don't know we might not get another tom holland spider-man film we might 
I don't know. I mean, we're just going to go on for a while in general, but the door is open, Chris, like you said. Another Andrew film seems likely, especially after the response of this. You know, they put a nice bow on Toby's story, and that's just great. And the Spider-Verse tie I'm talking about earlier, of course, is just that very thing. The, like, 40s Toby mentoring. Oh, I gotcha. In the sense of, like, they don't have a direct tie to Spider-Verse, but, of course, this is a Spider-Verse live-action film. I mean, of course, but it's more just the the through lines, the similarities, and of course, things happen to Miles that happen to Tom in this film as well. Kind of doing the no origin story, but then the, the full origin story by the end of it. You know, I love all that, like you mentioned, but yeah, th- this film was a lot. And then we had a couple of end credit scenes, and I don't know if you saw those, Chris, but they happened. I absolutely did. I feel like we had one end credit scene. That's uh, true. The second one kind of made me I'm not mad. That I was strange, I mean, quite literally, pun intended, a trailer as a in credit scene. But I mean, it wasn't just a trailer. It was a full like two and a half minute yeah, trailer. That's what I'm saying. Trailer. It was not a teaser trailer. It was, yeah, it was a not full a teaser. Trailer. Yeah, this was a full trailer. But let's talk about the first in credit scene. <laughs> yes, of course. So the first in credit scene, we're going to. That spoilers if you very if you good. haven't seen Venom Two: Let There Be Carnage, and I know Chris hasn't, but that movie ends with Tom Hardy and Venom taking a vacation to Mexico to kindle their love, and it's really great actually. And they're in this really bad dive hotel, but it's all Eddie can afford, and he's drenched in sweat like he always is in both those movies. But I mean, extra because there's no AC in this, and Eddie says you really are connected to all the Clintar in the entire universe. And, and Venom's like, we're all connected. The Clintar are connected through hive mind. He's talking about all this. And I can, I can give you a picture of this, Eddie. I can, I can show you some of this. Your small human mind can handle. And right when Venom says that the multiverse switch happens, Eddie, of course, he thinks it's Venom doing the Clintar mind thing. The hotel room changes from a dive to a five-star hotel room. And they realize they're in another universe. And then they see Tom Holland's Spider-Man on the TV. And then of course, a guy comes out of the bathroom and they're in that guy's room (laughs) and he's like who are you and that's how it ends so of course we pick up right where that ends of course eddie and venom have been kicked out of that guy's room and they're just in the bar of this place (laughs) and this other universe they never left so fun out in the bar that's very eddie and what a scene chris like i was not expecting to get this it's very fun they're trying to catch their bearings with what they've been shown on tv through i guess what happened in this movie and what's happened in this universe, because they have no idea, because they're from a different universe. And Eddie's very drunk, and Venom keeps saying that. Eddie, we are drunk. But it was just fun to see Tom reprise the role. And, you know, the irony of it is <laughs> they get sucked right back to their universe. They're like, not again. Not all of them. There's a piece of the symbiote left. There is a little bit of the symbiote left, opening up all sorts of possibilities that we may or may never explore i think they have a plan chris like i said venom made a lot of money and they have plans to do something with the symbiote of course and you know whether it's tom spider-man or something else with the symbiote suit in this universe who knows will we now get our mcu eddie i don't know but it was fun that tom hardy actually got to pass the torch in a way in the least but also chris it made it very clear to me because they even made the joke in the movie when Toby said, I got to fight an alien made out of black goo. And Andrew said, I didn't get to fight an alien, especially when he made out of black goo. I'm like, oh, I see what you guys are doing. You finally mm, give Andrew his third movie point. with Tom Hardy and just rake in tons of money because people love Andrew Spider-Man and 
I don't know. I just thought that was like, oh, I see what they're doing. Sony and Disney both are just like, let's split the symbiote and make money. Let's just make money. Let's all be rich. Yeah, it was fun though. It was. It was very fun. And I'm very excited for the possibilities. But can we talk about the thing I was most excited about from all of these, from these two stingers? Oh, absolutely, Chris. And I, the final thing I'll say on Venom is that uh, I'm actually happy that Tom Hardy's Venom was not in this movie because I think it would have been too distracting. I think it would have been too... It's too many, oh, yeah. too many iconic villains and actors and things. Just too many Just plot too points, much. Like, sure. I think... Clearly save that for something else, and I'm happy they did. But what 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 what's the point you have here with this that was the full circle moment for you? Oh, I want to talk about something in the Doctor Strange trailer. They did the trailer, and it took me a second to catch up to what was happening, that we were just getting a full-on trailer. So I, I missed a few things, but, I mean, America Chavez <laughs> ma- made an appearance, <laughs> and that's just so cool, and I'm so excited about uh-huh. that. I was also very pleased with how much uh, Scarlet Witch was in this trailer. So it makes me feel like there might be a, a, a good amount of screen time there like for her. Uh, yeah, I, I'm very excited about that movie. I am too. And if you haven't seen the trailer, we won't spoil it if you don't want to hear it. But I'm, I am happy that it's coming. It's something you and I have talked about excitement for a long time. And, you know, full circle coolness here. Ram, Rami directing it. You know, we had these characters returning yeah, from neat. the Rami universe. And, you know, Chris, my personal favorite episode of What If was the Doctor Strange episode where he continually goes back in time over and over and over again to try to change, of course, what happens that makes him the Sorcerer Supreme. And the paths always diverge and make him the Sorcerer Supreme. And then, you know, a lot of it leads to nefarious things in What If. I won't spoil it for you if you haven't seen that episode, but. If they channel some of that, which it seems like they might in this film of Doctor Strange, I'm very intrigued because I found that very compelling because when you have that much power, you can make some wrong decisions, you know, to try to make things very right. easily. Yeah. And especially when you have the power of things like Shumagorath and things, which I assume just like in What If, Shumagorath is going to make an appearance in this and just a lot of, you know, magic-y things that you shouldn't have meddled with. Probably. Well, I mean, it's Doctor Strange. He does it. Yeah. Uh, There's just so many nods in this movie. So many fun scenes. So much just fun little dialogue. So many Easter eggs that we missed. Oh, there's there's Easter eggs everywhere. Like in all the jokes, everything. It's crazy. Everything. Everything. It's it's nuts. So end of the day, Jesse, where are you putting this movie? Well, on the Chris Fury's finest scale of original corset Iron Man to modern day Hulkbuster Iron Man. I would say this is Hulkbuster Iron Man quite easily, if not better. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So because I feel like it nailed all the fan service things, but the fan service things didn't really matter because we had a cohesive emotional story that hit all the points it needed to to get our character to where they need to be by the end. And then on top of that, we somehow got catharsis and resolutions for other Spider-Men and Spider-Villains all in the same movie. And then let's also not forget the threads they're setting up with Doctor Strange, Ned, and how MJ was the true power piece of the whole movie. And Aunt May and Happy, they're there too, and they got a lot. So I'm just like ecstatic. Okay. 
So where would you rank this in MCU movies? So out of the 27 films, I think this is easily in the top 10. I don't think that's contentious to say. No, that's 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 a mild And probably in the top five, if not the top three. If I see it a couple more times, then I can say that with confidence. Now, right now, I can say top five. Okay. Best of the Holland Spider-Man films. By far. Up there with Into the Spider-Verse out of the nine Spider-Man films. Yeah, it's actually right there. So that's powerful, too, saying almost out of 10 Spider-Man films, it's number one or two, potentially. It's got a lot going for it, Chris. It's got a lot. Oh, it absolutely does. I, I thought it was fantastic. Me, personally, mm-hmm. on the Fury's finest corset Iron Man to Hulkbuster Iron Man scale, mm-hmm. I'm going with updated Hulk. Okay. It's pretty good. That's pretty dang I good. I mean, some people would put updated Hulk higher than Hulkbuster, and I love those people. I understand, but but Hulkbuster is the highest we go on this particular scale. It's nonsensical, but... <laughs> Just go Poor with it. Magneto. Um, this movie Magneto. was was <laughs> this movie was awesome. So um, good. There, I mean, there are some there are some plot point things. Definitely, there's some there's a few CGI moments that looked a little wonky, as in every MCU movie for the most part, except the Avengers. Oh ones. yeah, I, I think that's just a staple of any action movie at this point. Unfortunately, <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> But all the way around, man, awesome movie, excellent experience. I 100% believe that this is one of the movies that you need to see in theaters first. Like I said in the Eternals episode, I don't always mm-hmm. agree with Jesse on on that scale of you know having to see everything in the theater. He he loves the theater. I, I enjoy the theater. <laughs> well, I'm not exactly advocating to go see romantic comedy or a bro comedy or just a high drama at the theater necessarily you know what i mean because those are probably good ones that are perfectly fine home experiences but you know these cinematic movies these fun movies these visual movies these artistic movies theater definitely enhances a lot of the experience and i'm excited to see more of the mcu now than i ever have been and that's i've been excited for a long time it's crazy that's what really really just gets me about these movies this particular movie Mm -hmm. too is now i'm just chomping at the bit for more mcu content and it's really frustrating i didn't get those all the time like after a captain america movie or or something definitely not you know, this is one of those iconic staples and timelines movies, Chris, where it's like this is a Avengers Infinity War endgame type movie where you're just chomping at the bit to get back to the theater to see the next one. Yep. That's good. That means they delivered because it's not just about the spectacle and the fun. Of course, it's about these characters and what's going to happen with them next and us being invested. And that's what I want. You know, I want more of that. I want less of the spectacle, truthfully. And that's why my favorite moments in the Spider-Man movie had nothing to do with the fights. There were some good fights. You know, the last fight for me, some parts of it was a bit too busy. Like I always say with every MCU movie, the last fight's always too busy. It's just always too much going on. And, point. you know, but then you've got fights like the Doc Ock fight and the 1v1 goblin fight at the end. That's just them on the ground. You know, there's, there's great moments, but it was all based in the characters and the emotional moments. And, you know, I wouldn't change any of those. So that's where it's really powerful as an MCU movie. You know, some other MCU movies, you can cut a lot out truthfully, but this one's not one you can do that. And that's impressive that it's two and a half hour runtime, you know, and it's up there with the end games, the infinity wars of the world. And now the Eternals, because it's very long. 
Chris, we got to revisit our ranking system we had at the Eternals at the end of this year. I'm going to start off mine. It's going to shock no one that now we're at the end of this year. You and I gave our rankings of the movie throughout this year. Going to close it out. Mine are now Spider-Man number one, Shang-Chi number two, Eternals number three, and Black Widow number four. That's my best to worst of this year of the MCU. I don't know if you have any changes or additions to that. I have none, unfortunately. I don't like to disagree, but look, I... I can totally see where people would prefer Shang-Chi as the number one, mm. and I could make that argument, but I don't <laughs> agree with that. That wouldn't be consistent with your Shang-Chi review, which you say uh, high praises, but I you am, also had important things to point out that didn't work for you. Yeah. And, you know, I am, I'm out, honestly, I mean, warming, I've seen it several times since, nice. and it's just, it's a, it's a very good movie. It has some, re, a lot of rewatchability. It's an excellent background movie, too. So just, it's just a good movie. So, yeah, I've softened a little bit on it, which I really liked it at the time. So maybe I will come around to some of my quibbles with No Way Home. But, I mean, I'm going to be honest, not too many. I'm probably going to buy it on, mm-hmm. you know, own it physical media. It's so. definitely an old one, for sure. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more, Chris. And, you know, speaking of background movies, it's time to rewatch Doctor Strange. And I will mention while we're at the end of our episode here, Chris, something very cool they did on Disney Plus recently. And this kind of backs up Chris's thing. You know, he talks about, I have a nice system at home to watch movies. So I will say I I have something to supplement the theater, but most of the larger budget MCU movies, they upgraded in Disney Plus to full 4K and full IMAX resolution. So now you can go watch Doctor Strange if you didn't see it in theaters and IMAX, you're going to watch it at home and you're actually going to see more of the frame than you even saw when you saw it if you didn't see it in IMAX at theaters. That's kind of unique. That's, That's cool. cool. Different. So now well, I actually watched the Avengers the other day and it was full frame on my TV. No black bars. Getting that full IMAX view. It was just a different experience from home. And that was really nice. And, you know, we live in the future. <laughs> These are the things they're going to push to continue to get people to continue to invest into streaming. But pretty cool as fans rewatching these films and you kind of get more of the frame and you could just see more of the picture, frankly. And, uh, I'm going to be rewatching Dr. Strange very soon for that purpose because number one, I haven't seen it in a while. Number two, got to get ready for number two and number three, let's watch it in the IMAX resolution. Cause I did not get to see Dr. Strange in IMAX. Same. I'm going to rewatch it for those very same reasons though. I'm also going to take in the first two Tom Holland, Spider-Man movie, movies again they're gonna hit in a different way that's gonna be good i think so as well furious finest is supported by our wonderful patrons you can become a furious finest patron by going to patreon.com slash furious finest follow us on social media on twitter at furious finest cast instagram facebook and twitch at furious finest email us at furious finest at gmail.com with any inquiries ideas or questions and leave us reviews on your podcast app of choice it really helps us out helps the show grow we really appreciate it thanks to approaching nirvana for our intro and outro music and like jesse said guys every little bit helps and i keep saying this but you guys always humble us with your support we take it very seriously just thank you and and please keep it up if you can it seriously keeps us going every week you guys listening subscribing 
and leaving reviews just keeps us going because we see that you're enjoying the content and continuing to listen. So we're not going to stop. You can find us on social media. You can find me, Jesse, on Twitter, Instagram, and that Marvel Christ Protocol page on Facebook at Jesse Aiken. That's E-A-K-I-N. Chris, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at Chris Bruffett, C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T. I don't tweet a lot right now. I tweet a lot right now about Spider-Man. Uh, mine will come back around. It ebbs and it flows. Absolutely. Well, Chris, this was a fun episode. It was our deepest MCU episode yet. Had to be. This movie was dense. Oh, man. It's so dense. And we we skimmed over a lot, you know? I mean... I know. We absolutely did. And this is uh, a long episode as it is. And we still didn't get to everything. It's just such a... It's, it's so dense. And it's so good. Such a wonderful ensemble movie and modern action movie. I don't know how to say it. It's just... Mm-hmm. Had a lot of heart, too. Let's see. Yeah. That's not something you always get. It, you, they try to get in an, every MCU movie, but you don't always... The performances don't always bring the heart out. Or just we don't care about the characters, like you said. Yeah. Eternals. We just didn't care Black as Widow. much as we should have. Black Widow. Didn't care as much as we should have. Or the characters we cared about, like Yelena and Red Guardian, got less time on screen. You know, there's just mistakes. It's their job to make us care about the characters. It is. They are the writers, and we are not. <laughs> anyway, anyway. We skimmed over a lot. There's a lot to talk. I mean, let's. Toby gave Andrew a whole pep talk about self talk and the positivity of that. And oh, he I love that. He literally told him, You're amazing over and over again. There's multi layers of jokes there because he is the amazing Spider Man. Those are the names of his movies. But also, like, that arc with Andrew was so good in this movie, and he was a side character. Oh, he really, really shone. And that man needs an Oscar for his acting over the last two years because he has been working so much. He's been in so many films. And every single time he's in an interview, he gets asked over and over again. So when you come into the MCU, what's your role like in that? And he's just <laughs> straight faced the whole time. He's never broke character. He's been telling, you know, he's, he's, he's been under these NDAs for so long. Poor man. I'm so happy with him, you know. Oh, yeah. At least Toby's been been retired for eight years or so and you know he didn't have to deal with that so i mean hats off to andrew garfield he he carried this in more ways than one in the real world you know he kept it under wraps chris you know when you go to bed at night you remember that matt murdoch is now officially in the mcu and tom holland knows who he is matt murdoch may have forgotten about peter parker but peter parker did not forget about him it's gonna be it's gonna be fun i i'm very excited to see what what they do and where they go so much, man. And I'm looking forward to next year talking about these oh, yeah, movies with you because we got a lot of, you and I, as we alluded to last episode, we got a lot of MCU content next year lined up and we hope you guys will enjoy the ride with us. But until then, we've got to control ourselves and just wait till then. Chris, I'm it's trying. a very exciting time. Thank you for listening. True Believers. Excelsior. The world has gotten even stranger than you already know. At this point, I doubt anything would surprise me. Ten bucks says you're wrong. 